0: Only the truly born-again ones they come out on New Year's Day when it's on a Sunday with 20 mile an hour sustained winds and driving rain So now I feel pressure to make this good So but at that same note I a lot of fun here this morning We got a neat lesson and one of my favorite verses in the Bible that we're going to talk about this morning And we're going to do something a little bit different today because we're actually going to work backwards The verse that we're working up to is Romans 8:28. Now we have to work backwards to find out how we get to that verse Romans 8:28 here and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What a great verse. Now we've got to think about how we got to this verse because we've been working through Romans here for you know quite some time. First seven chapters of Romans, we've, we've established this fact, first seven chapters of Romans introduce us to the gospel, introduce us to the fact that we all need the gospel, that we're all sinners, that it's only through Jesus Christ we can have salvation and eternal life, and then now we need to go out and live that life free from sin. That's the first seven chapters of Romans. Chapter 8 is a transitional chapter. kind of gets into who the Holy Spirit is, um, you know, gets into this idea of our mind truly following Christ and letting the past go. And then in Romans 9, 10, and 11, we talk about Israel. And Then starting in Romans 12, it's application. How do we apply everything we learned? So Romans 8 is kind of an interesting chapter here, and we've been doing a lot in Romans 8. Now, it's been a couple weeks since we've been into it. Last week, we did a topical message on Christmas. And two weeks ago, we had the Christmas program, so we just had a brief little message, and we focused on verse 18, where I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And we talked about suffering. Jody Hathaway got up and shared her testimony about what's been going on these last months in her life. And if you weren't with us, I highly encourage you to get a copy of that CD or listen to it online there. What a neat testimony of what God has done in her and through her. And so now we're kind of still here in Romans 8, and we have to kind of, this transitional thing. So verse 28 is kind of this there right in the middle. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. I think of all the passages I quote in the Bible, Romans 8.28 has to be up there towards the top. Probably that, some verses in Psalm 23, maybe some verses in Psalm 40. But Romans 8.28, boy, we're there all the time. That's one of those verses where you just want to get up in the morning and just make sure it's still there because it is such a key verse. What to think about what this verse means. All things work together for good. All things. Now we say this out here a lot, that all means all. All things work together for good. So if you're born again and saved and you have a bad day at work and you sit there and you say, Lord, what are you trying to do here? You know that God's going to work that together for good. You know that if you're born again and saved and you go to the doctor and you get that diagnosis that you weren't expecting, you know that all things work together for good. You know that because this verse promises us that all things work together for good. Not some things, not every now and then, but all means all. That's an amazing verse. What a reassurance that is that no matter what happens in my life when I'm walking with the Lord, that whatever comes my way, God will use that for good. I love that. That's a bookend verse. The other verse that goes along with that, if you have to pick two what I call bookend verses, the next one is found in the book of Jeremiah. You don't need to turn there, but it's Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, if you make those two passages the bookends of your life, how can you go wrong? On one end, you know this. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then on the other bookend of your life, you have that. I know that all things work together for good for those who love God. Wow. If that's the beginning and the end, what do you have to worry about in the middle? I shared with you before that little personality quirk that I have that if I'm going to watch a movie, I get online first to find out how the movie ends. I'm not going to waste my time watching a movie if i know it doesn't end the way it wants to i'm not going to waste two hours of my time watching something i don't want to see well i know the book ends here jeremiah 29:11, romans 8:28. i know that god has thoughts towards me thoughts of, of peace and a future and a hope and i know that all things work together for the good so whatever happens in my life in between those two bookends i don't have to worry about it i know how it begins and i know how it ends what a peace that that Gives us. So anytime something happens to you, you can come back to Romans 28, 8, 28 and say, Lord, you're going to use this for good. I don't know how, I don't know what, I don't know why, but you will use this for good. And you may not get that revealed to you at that moment, at that day, at that week, at that month, or maybe not even at that year, but something good will come out of it. Sometimes it's something big and grandiose and you can sit there and say, wow, Lord, you are really using this amazingly. Sometimes it's something so small. You may not even notice it. It's just a little refining, or I like to call it a little spiritual tweak of your life, where God says, I can see something in your life. Maybe your patience level is not as high as it should be. So you know what? I need to allow this thorn to come into your life to just tweak you a little bit. God will use that for good. I love this verse. Problem is, this verse is very conditional. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. If you're not born again and saved, this verse does not relate to you in any way whatsoever. If you're not saved and you come into my office, you call me on the phone and your life is falling apart and you say, why would God allow this? I can't quote you this verse. This verse doesn't apply to you. This verse only applies to those that love God and that are called according to his purposes. That's a tough thing. Because sometimes when things happen in people's lives and their world is falling apart and they say, Lord, why? The only thing I can say as a pastor is... I don't know I can't give you a divine purpose I can't give you a divine reasoning I can't give you a divine comfort in this situation because this verse only works for those that are saved and that's a hard thing to do when you see somebody in the world who doesn't know Jesus and their world is falling apart you want to give them hope and the only hope I can give you is get light with Christ I can't explain why at this point because I don't know and so what happens then is when people are struggling with this Your hands are tied a little bit. And sometimes you just want to sit there and you want to quote this verse to him, saying, don't worry, good will come out of this. Not if you're not walking with the Lord. This verse is a promise to believers that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This is a verse you mark, you underline, you circle, you put it on your fridge, and when that bad day in life happens, you can say, okay, God, I know you're going to use this for a deeper reason and purpose. Now, we know how it ends we want to get to verse 28. The problem is we have these other verses that come before it. Let's pick it up here in verse 20. <clears throat> For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who was subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bonded bondage will be delivered, excuse me, will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to mark three words In these verses, 20, 21, and 22. First word in verse 20 is futility. Verse 21 is bondage. In verse 23, excuse me, verse 21, I'm having a rough time here. Verse 21 is bondage. Verse 22 is groaning and laboring. I want you to think about those words. Because to get to verse 28, we have to look at these passages. Look at this one more time. Does your life not sometimes seem futile in verse 20? Futility of life, that word literally means devoid of truth. Sometimes you ever look at your life and just think, boy, this life just seems a little futile. I mean, what's the purpose of this? What's the point of this? i deal with that. Now, the thing is, we won't mention that publicly because we all like to pretend we have our life in order. But the truth of the matter is sometimes, verse 20, we have a very futile life. I go to work every day, I come home every day. The next day I get up, I go to work every day, I come home every day. I pay the bills and the bills come again. When we went through Ecclesiastes last year, we talked about these feudal moments of life, these Ecclesiastes moments that we sit there and say, Lord, what's the purpose of this? What's the point of this? We struggle with that. Verse 20, verse 21, we struggle with bondage. What are we in bondage to? I don't know. Some people are in bondage to drugs. Some people are in bondage to alcohol. We're in bondage to those things that bring us down. Now, those are the big ones that we think of. When someone talks about being in bondage to something, we think about the drugs and the alcohol. There's a lot of other things you can be in bondage to. I've met people that are in bondage to anger. They can't move past things that happened in the past. They can't move past situations, and they're in bondage to that anger and that resentment and bitterness of life. I've met people that are in bondage to uh, maybe greed, to money. See, the problem with being bondage to greed and money is we usually pat that on the back. Hey, you're willing to work 60 hours a week? That's great, man. What a work ethic you have. I don't know if that's a work ethic sometimes. Sometimes that's a bondage. We were, Dawn and I were watching this show recently about people going out looking for houses. And uh, the budget for these people looking for a house was $1.1 million. That's what they budgeted. I can relate. And so they found this house. And, and this, the, house, the square footage of this house was 1,500 square foot. Now think about that for a second. 1,500 square foot for a house that cost 1.1 million. Now, and, and what happened was it was the third level house. I mean, and they had the top floor, and there was two other floors. There, so they're sharing this, which to me this seems like a glorified hotel room. And here's the catch to this: the washer and excuse me, the washer and dryer were in the basement that all three houses shared. Now just stop and think for a second. You're paying $1.1 million potentially for a 1,500-square-foot house, and you're sharing a washer and dryer with two other people in the basement? You almost want to go tap them on the shoulder and say, excuse me, I think you're in bondage. You're in bondage to status. You're in bondage to symbol. I mean, I'm not trying to sound egotistical here, and I don't mean this in any way. My house did not cost $1.1 million, but it's bigger than 1,500-square-foot, and guess what? We own our own washer and dryer. And so there's a bondage there that happens. And I don't think sometimes that people even realize they're in bondage. But they are. Their life is futile, verse 20. What's the point? It's devoid of truth. Verse 21, they're in bondage to different things. And then what happens out of this, verse 22? They groan in labor. Now, once again, we won't admit this, but we all groan in labor. Don't you sometimes get up and on the way to work and say, Oh, I don't want to do this. You're groaning and laboring. You get to work and you find out what the day's going to be and you're just moaning and muttering under your breath. You moan and mutter under your breath on the way home. You moan and mutter under your breath in your kitchen. We groan in labor all the time. Now, sometimes we groan in labor because of emotional situations. Sometimes we're groan in labor under spiritual situations. Sometimes we're groan in labor under physical situations. We're in pain. It hurts. But the point is, we live in this world where it can be very futile. Verse 20. It can be very bondage-like, verse 21. In verse 22, there's a lot of groaning and laboring. That's a tough world that we live in. A tough, tough world. So how in the world do we get to Romans 8, 28? That all things are working for good if we're living in a futile world of bondage, that there's a lot of groaning and laboring. How do we get to that? Well, the answer is found in verse 23. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Part of the way we get to Romans 8.28 is that the Holy Spirit helps us get there. Now, depending on your translations, good old King Jamesers, you guys don't have this word eagerly in verse 23, but it's a very important word. That word eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body in verse 23, that word eagerly means constantly. You're constantly waiting for the redemption of your body. Not just every now and then. You constantly are waiting for that. Ran into somebody a few days ago, and we were just talking about the new year coming up, et cetera. And someone made the comment of, wouldn't it be great if Jesus returned before the new year? I said, Oh boy, wouldn't that be great, amen. I mean I know Hollywood's gotta figure it out that the world's ending in twenty twelve. But you know what? I'm okay with the world ending in twenty twelve. Now I gotta have full disclosure here. When I first got saved, there was always these people always talking about Jesus returning and you know, I was sixteen at the time and I thought, what? I don't why why is the big deal about Jesus returning? So I would just play along. Oh yeah, it'd be great. If Jesus returned. I'm like, what's the big deal? Now that I'm older, man, Lord, if you want to return, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Anytime you want. Verse 23, eagerly waiting. I, I mean, are we not ready for the futile life, the life of bondage, and the groaning and laboring to be done? Are we not ready for that to be over with? Aren't we eagerly waiting for the redemption of our body to say that this is done and over with and we can move on finally? And that word redemption literally means Ransom. literally means ransom. See, the thing is, me as a person, James Irvin, I'm I'm held in bondage by sin. I've been kidnapped by sin. I want to be released. I want to let go. I want to escape. And I can't. The only way to get out of this bondage, this kidnapping, is to have someone pay the ransom. Well, that's what Jesus did. He paid the ransom through his blood. And this is something that's repeated numerous times throughout the New Testament here. You know, 1 Timothy 2.6 talks about this. And Jesus came out in Matthew 20, where he came and said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to come to be a ransom for many. So we sit here and wonder, what was the purpose of Jesus coming? You know, was he trying to make the wrongs right? Was he trying to help Israel? Was he trying to do this? Jesus made it very clear. He goes, I came to die. I came to die so that way my blood could then pay off this debt, this ransom that nobody else could pay off. That's why he came. And so therefore, verse 23, I eagerly wait the redemption of my body. I get to be paid, ransomed through the blood of Christ. And then I also get adopted. Now, here's the problem with this. It hasn't happened yet. Now, I'm saved, so in some ways I've been redeemed. I mean, I'm a child of God, so in some ways I've been adopted. But it's not until we get to heaven do we fully get it and understand it, what it means to be redeemed, to be ransomed, and to have that to be a part of God's family, to be adopted. I mean, right now, we're a child of God. We're saved in Jesus Christ. But you know what? We're eagerly awaiting it still. It's not until we get to heaven do we fully grasp it and understand it and see what God means for that. So that's why in this world we still groan, we're still in bondage, it still seems futile because we're still waiting for it. But to prove that God's going to do it, he gives us this, verse 23, the first fruits of the Spirit. Now we talked about that a couple weeks ago about what that means, that God himself lives inside of us. What an amazing thing to think that God himself lives inside of us. And this idea of him giving us a first fruit, it's him just giving us a taste of this, if you will, so that way we know that the promise is going to come. You've got to know a little bit of Old Testament here. What happened in the Old Testament is when you started harvesting your crop, you gave your first fruits, your first harvest to the Lord to say thank you for what you've done and also as a way of saying I trust that you're also going to take care of me, and so I'm thanking you for what you've done. And I'm also giving you this as an offering to trust that you're going to take care of me for the rest of the harvest. It was a faith thing. Now, we do the same thing today. You know, we call it a tithe. We're giving part of what we have back to God to say, Lord, thank you for meeting our needs. And we trust that you'll continue to meet our needs. Now, try to explain first fruits to someone who's not saved. It's just just ludicrous. You're saying that you willfully give up 10% of what you make and you just give it to God. Yeah. Why? Well, it's a, it's a way to tell him, you know, thank you for what you've done. It's also a way to honor him, and it's a way for him to say that you're going to work in my life to to meet my needs and to help the kingdom. It doesn't make any sense, does it? That's one thing we've been trying to instill into the kids. We try to instill this concept of first fruits. So the way I've done it, and I don't know if this is good, bad, or indifferent, but we get there in the morning, and they pick out their cereal. So we fill their cereal up in the morning in their bowls. So once I fill their cereal up, I go and I take a handful out of each of their bowl, and I say first fruits, and I, and I take their cereal. I, I do. I, this, this is not one I'm embellishing. I do. Sometimes it leads to tears. But that's just dawn usually. But the point is, I take I take some of their cereal. I do. And I, and, and I say first fruits. And, I, and they'll say, Dad, don't do first fruits. That's what they say. So finally, I mean, I finally, Judah got it. Judah got it. He says, I get it. Because what happens is I take first fruits, but then I go back and I fill up their bowl more. I try to explain to him, see, you, you, you let me take some of this, which is first fruits, before you even have a bite, I get some of it. But then you come back and you get more. And I said, that's what the Lord does, is you honor him with your giving. And then what happens is God blesses you and takes care of you. So Judah got it. So the other day I did it, and Elias is getting all worked up. Dad, why are you doing this? And Judah just looks at Elias and goes, Elias? It's first fruits. You'll get more later. So now I got to work on the whole idea because Judah's turning into name and claim it. So I got to work on that a little bit. That it's not that you just do this to get more. It's the right heart and attitude. But you go up to Judah and you ask him what first fruits is. He's going to say, "Daddy takes my cereal." But he, he's starting to he's starting to get it. Well, the point of this idea of first fruits is the Holy Spirit has been put inside of us where God says, "You're mine." I'm claiming you. I'm taking you. So you know what? Yes, you're saved. Yes, you're adopted into the family, but but you're still waiting for that full ransom. You're still waiting for that full redemption. You're waiting for that full adoption into the eternal glories of heaven and the Holy Spirit being inside of you as a first troop to say, I claim you. You're mine. Ephesians builds on this a little bit more, and you don't need to turn there. It says in Ephesians 1:13 and 14, it says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, listen to this, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. He's our down payment until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The redemption paying the ransom of us. The Holy Spirit is the down payment that says I'm putting 20% down in your mind. It's a beautiful thing so for us to get to Romans 8 28 life can be futile life can be bondage we can moan and groan but verse 23 we eagerly await through the spirit the idea that Christ is coming to get us and we have eternal glory in heaven but we have to wait for this and waiting is tough look at verse 24 for we were saved in this hope but hope that is seen is not hope For why does one still hope for what he sees? Now that's kind of a confusing verse, but when you really get it, it's like, okay, that's really confusing, but it really makes sense. If you're hoping for something, that means it's still there. It's still in the future. You can't grasp it. You can't obtain it. Once you have it, you no longer need to hope for it. So what Paul is saying here through the Spirit in verse 24 is there's a hope of something that you haven't seen yet, and it's coming. It's still coming. It's not here yet. That's why you're still moaning and groaning. That's why life is still futile. That's why there's still bondage. It's because it's still coming. We're still hoping for it. And that's what gets us through these tough days is knowing that there's something bigger and better coming. And I place my hope in that. Hebrews 11:1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I have faith that there is a heaven. I have faith that there is a God that loves me that died on the cross for my sins. I have faith. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I've never seen heaven. I've never seen the face of God. And I've never seen the Holy Spirit inside of me. But I have faith. And I have hope. And that stuff is true. And that's what gets me through the day. As we say out here all the time, you keep your eyes on the Savior, not on the situation. If you keep your eyes on the situation, you will be depressed, you will be discouraged. You will moan, you will groan, you will be in bondage. If you keep your eyes on the Savior, there is a hope that gets you through. Hence verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see... We eagerly, there's that word again, eagerly, we constantly wait for it with perseverance. Boy, oh boy, we constantly wait for the return of Christ. We we, we don't constantly wait for it to the point that we're useless here on earth. Jesus said, occupy till I come. I've met believers that are so focused on the return of Christ, they just sit there and twiddle their thumbs spiritually till he returns. Then you're not doing anything. We still get out there. We still get out there and serve. We still get out there and love. We still get out there and do something. But we still eagerly wait for it. We constantly wait for it. It's something that that pushes us on. It carries us on. Because this world is tough. There's no doubt about that. So the Holy Spirit is the first fruit that's in us that, that carries us along. And how does he carry us along? Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit helps us. Now, If you go back to John 14, 15, and 16, where the Holy Spirit is introduced to us through Jesus, one of the words that Jesus uses to describe the Spirit is he's the helper. And that's exactly what he does. He helps us. This word helps in verse 26 is a very rare word in the New Testament. And it means to hold with at the side for assistance. Imagine you're trying to carry something into your house and you can't do it. Someone comes along and grabs the other side of it and helps you get it in the house. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit helps us. He helps grab the other side of it and assists us to do it. Why does he have to help us? Verse 26, because we're weak. Now, this is a tough concept for some people to get. They don't want to admit that they're weak. If you don't want to admit that you're weak, well, then you're basically saying, I don't want the help of the Holy Spirit. And if you're saying you don't want the help of the Holy Spirit, you're ignoring the helper that God gave you. Because God knows you're weak. One of the strongest things you can do is admit that you're weak. You're weak. You, You can't make it through a day. You can't. You can't make it through a marriage. You can't make it through life. You can't make it through anything on your own. If you can make it through that stuff on your own, then why in the world did Jesus die on the cross for our sins and why did the Holy Spirit come into our lives? Because God knows in His infinite wisdom that we are weak. One of the strongest things you can do is accept that you're weak and say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need that assistance. I need that help. I need someone to come along and grab the other side of this because I can't do this, Lord. Have you ever run into somebody who won't accept the fact that they're weak? They got it. They can figure it out. I know it's a tough time, but I can do this. I'm just going to put my head down. I'm going to get through this. We'll be okay. I don't know where you're getting your strength from. I don't know where you're getting your wisdom from. You need to accept the fact that you're weak and that the Spirit comes and helps us. One of the ways the Spirit comes and helps us is when we're overwhelmed with life, where it says in verse 26, we don't even know how to pray. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. Ever been in that situation where you didn't know how to pray? People will come up to me a lot and they'll say something like, Hey, I had a job interview this week. Um, Pray I get this job. Okay, I'll pray for you. I don't know if you should have the job or not. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it sounds good in our earthly wisdom. Yeah, it sure sounds good. But God sees a bigger picture than we do. So maybe we just need to let the Spirit take over and say, Lord, we don't know. Your will be done. i people come up to me and say, you know what, my boyfriend you know, my girlfriend and I or my boyfriend and I aren't getting along. Pray that we can work it out. Well, m- maybe you shouldn't work it out. <laughs> so maybe this is a sign to be done and over with, and you should move on. So I don't know how to pray. So I'll just let the Holy Spirit take over and figure that one out. Because the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us. Or sometimes we're just so overwhelmed we don't even know what to do. We can't tell up from down, left from right. You're just, you are just you. hear news and it's just so overwhelming to you. The most you can mutter is, Lord, just a sigh, Lord, just and you just sigh. You can't even put into words the situation because you're full of so much pain, so emotionally hurt, so spiritually hurt. You, you can't even put into words what to pray. Aren't you glad to know that those sighs and mutterings and groanings The Lord knows. I looked up that word groaning to see if it was something deep. Groaning just means groaning. That's what it means. A lot of my prayers are just groanings. Lord, you just have a deep sigh. You're not even verbalizing anything, but yet the Lord is saying, I got it. Because really what you're doing with that type of prayer is the Holy Spirit inside of you is speaking to God the Father in heaven. And it's almost like the Holy Spirit is saying, okay, James, can you just get out of the way so the big people can talk now? Don't don't try to pray. Don't try to verbalize. Just we know your heart that you can't even verbalize the hurt that you're going through, the pain that you're feeling right now. And we know your groanings, your sighings, we know what that means. Isn't that a reassuring thing to know when you're in that type of spiritual, physical, or emotional pain, and you only can just sigh or groan. God says, I hear you. That's the Spirit helping us. Now, there's a whole another level to this, and we'll get to this later on here in Romans. We'll... We'll get into there's you know the praying in the Spirit and the idea of tongues, etc. And that comes up later here in the book of Romans. But there is that idea of praying in the Spirit of just what a freeing thing that is. And I know for me if there's something that is overwhelming to me and, and I, I don't even know what to do. My heart just hurts so bad. Sometimes you just go there and you just give it over to the Lord in the Spirit and it's just, just like you feel this relief. It's like the Lord just takes it off your shoulders because you don't have to worry about being eloquent in your words. You don't have to worry about praying it over from every angle because you just can sit there and just... Oh, Lord. It's like, yeah, that's, that's I just needed to get that off my chest. And the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's help. That's assistance. So the next time you're going through a verse 20 moment where life feels very futile, well, the next time you're going through a verse 21 moment of you're in bondage, and the next time you're going through a verse 22 moment of groaning and laboring, let the Spirit just help you in prayer, just to give it over to him. I mean, I have people all the time come up to me and say, I, I don't even know what I, I'm supposed to pray for with this. I take him to Romans eight 26. Don't worry about it. The Spirit knows. Just let him take care of it. And you just go there and just say, Lord. And I don't know how many times I've just come to the Lord and said, Lord... Here's the situation. I don't know what to do, Lord. Here's the marriage. I don't know what to do, Lord. Here, here's this this child. I don't know what to do, Lord. Here, here's I I don't know. And there's a strength in accepting that I'm weak because I don't know. You know why I don't know? Because look at verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. See, the Spirit knows God. They know each other. They're part of the Trinity. They're one. So, therefore, the Spirit knows how to just handle the situation. And, and so, therefore, I sit there and keep wondering and thinking and analyzing, and, and I don't know what to do. And what, you know, what about this? And that's where God just taps you on the shoulder and says, How about you just be quiet for a little bit? And just quietly give it over to us. And we'll take care of it. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him even so no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God I'm very leery sometimes when somebody always knows God's will they always know what God's will is because wow I'm not on that level now I know a lot of times what God wants because his will always lines up with scripture his will always lines up with truth his will always lines up with the nature of Jesus but there's a lot of times where I stop and say, Lord, I don't, I don't know what you're doing here, Lord. The Spirit does. Isaiah 55 says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. God is above me. That's not even the proper preposition to use. I don't even know if there's a better preposition than above. I don't know what he thinks all the time. I don't know what he wants all the time. And so there's a lot of times in prayer where I just need to go to the Spirit and just say, the Spirit knows the things of God. And I just want to be obedient to what you're calling me to be and what you're calling me to do. And so therefore I come back to these verses and trust the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. That verse 27, the Spirit searches, he knows the mind of God. 1 Corinthians, that the Spirit knows what the Lord wants because why Isaiah 55? above me what a freedom in knowing that we can go to the Lord and that he will help us in those times of moaning and groaning and bondage and he will step in and help us now we get back to verse 28 and we know that all things work together for good to those that love God to those who are the called according to his purpose so when my life seems futile when I'm in bondage and when I'm moaning and groaning I have verse 23 I eagerly await my adoption. I eagerly await my redemption. And the Holy Spirit is this down payment on me to say that I am mine. Excuse me, I am the Lord's. I am a child of God's. So verse 24, I now have hope. And verse 25, I eagerly wait for this. I I am excited about this. I know that God's moving and working. And until He returns and helps me, verse 26, I have the Spirit that lives inside of me, that will intercede for me, that will help me, that will be there for me with no matter what I am facing. Verse 27, I I can't tell up from down so the Spirit knows. So now I can trust in verse 28 that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. That verse gives me hope in darkness. That verse gives me strength in weakness to know that He's there, He's helping, and that no matter what I'm facing, He's got it and He's going to use it. Sometimes those uses, once again, are big and maybe dozens, scores, hundreds of people are touched and used mightily. Other times those uses and purposes are so minute we may not even notice. It's those little tweaks in our nature that God allows those little thorns, those little stones in the shoe to remind us, I see the bigger picture and I I just need to adjust this just a little bit. And he allows that to happen for my good, for a bigger purpose to serve him and love him. So I hope that this message and those passages give you hope in a dark time. And I hope that they give you hope to start out the new year here to say, okay, God's there. He's in the midst of it, even though I don't see him, even though I don't know it. I know he's there, and I know that he's helping. Marv and Callie here, if you guys want to come forward here for the final song. Well, I hope you guys have a blessed new year. Thank you for coming out this morning. I'm assuming many of you were up late, and I hope you are blessed. and. Uh God's word was a blessing to you. As always, uh, check out the upcoming events. A lot of stuff coming back up. A lot of Bible starting, studies starting back up. Uh, hopefully you can prayerfully get involved with some of those. And what a blessing it is to see you guys this morning, and I hope you have a blessed day. So without much further ado, I'll give it over to for your final song.